any of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves. This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhumans, do you believe that chance encounters can change your professional life or perspective? Well, until it happened to me, I didn't actually believe in that whole concept, right? I'm not talking about romance here, though you may find that this comes in the category of bromance, but my guest today is somebody who I met a couple of years back at a Singularity University event. I was sitting in the back, fresh off of a career in finance, trying to figure out what to do next, and this gentleman came up to me with tons of energy, tons of positivity, and immediately I I noticed a few things about him. He was curious. He was extremely knowledgeable, and we had a shared interest in this domain of performance. So that connection spurred several visits in anywhere from Amsterdam to San Diego to a few other places, and a continued conversation around how to live your best life. And my guest today is Skip Kelly, and Skip is so many things, and we talk a lot about this on the show, but Skip ditched his career being a corrective exercise specialist to travel the globe and build education companies, one of which was helping the marketing of Mind Valley, and create world-class courses where he eventually ended up returning to the United States, that is, to create a digital product which ensures that we don't need his previous profession, the corrective exercise specialist. We get into a lot on this show, and because it's a close personal connection at times, we probably go down some wormholes that you guys are probably wondering what's going on. But we talk about Skip's background as things like a competitive hip-hop dancer or his business with a very famous company that's been mentioned a few times on the show at least uh, regarding exogenous ketones. We also talk about Skip's travels, his videography, and of course, this concept of prehabbing. Prehabbing is something that most of you may not be familiar with, in which case I want you to really embrace this show as sort of a way to both warm up your body, use your body, and be in touch with your body in a new way. And I don't mean this in any sort of hokey type thing. This is all backed by science. We get a lot into the work of Tim Noakes and the central governor theory. And this is something that I've had a decent amount of experience with Skip. And like I've said on previous podcasts or even on Facebook, it's helped me recover from a knee injury faster than I ever thought possible. So you're going to enjoy this episode. And Skip was so generous that he put together a little track for you guys, uh, which is a little bit of a muscle brain audio track where you can download it at prehabdojo.com slash superhuman. You also find the show notes to this one at decodingsuperhuman.com slash skip. That's S-K-I-P. Enjoy my episode with the one, the only, Skip Kelly. Sponsor for this episode is The Ring on My Finger. No, I'm not married yet. And frankly, before this ring, I hated wearing rings. But I must say, the guys at Aura have done a great job. The Aura ring allows me to track all sorts of crazy things about my sleep, including my resting heart rate, my deep sleep stages, my REM sleep, etc., etc. I really enjoy the feedback and it allows me to make lifestyle decisions to become a higher performer. Let me give you an example. So prior to getting the Aura Ring, I would fast essentially 16 hours after my last meal. It didn't matter when that last meal was. However, when I look at my resting heart rate and how that really correlates to my performance the next day, I know I want my lowest resting heart rate coming as soon as possible after going to sleep because that's when all my recovery really starts. So what did I do? Well, it allowed me to adjust really when my last meal was before going to bed. So I have my last meal now earlier in the night. I get better sleep. I get higher quality sleep. And I must say the next day feels amazing. So if you want to check out the Aura Ring, and if you want to pick one up yourself, go to AuraRing.com. That's O-U-R-A ring.com. Plug in the code BOOMER and you'll get $50 off your order or 50 euros, depending on your jurisdiction. I really hope you enjoy the ring and on with the show.
Skip, welcome to the show. Yo, what up? Ah, this is so good. So good to actually catch up with like people I'm close with on the podcast. This is great. So Skip, you and I met at Singularity University. What was that? A few years ago now, right? I would say August 2016. Wow. Uh, precision, precision. We're going to get into that today. That's for sure. And, you know, it's been great over these past couple of years to meet up in some pretty crazy places, places like Amsterdam, where I am now, San Diego just a few weeks ago. But one of the things I've come to know recently about you and some of the craziness that is Skip Kelly is that you're a competitive hip hop dancer. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I danced with a group called CG or Common Ground mm-hmm. for a summer and then a little bit before, a little bit after. And I had been training for maybe a year prior to that, kind of escalating in intensity until it resulted in this this summer where we did a big competition or two, three, something like that. And then, yeah, I got, got paid to do one gig. So that was pretty fun. That's incredible. And this was, you did this all over the span of a year. Is that right? Yeah. The real intensity was about six months. Okay. And then before that six months, I like started getting quick story. So I was dating a girl who was a hip hop choreographer (laughs) and had been a dancer since she was like five. And I went and took her class and that's how I met her. And then before I knew it, I was like, you know, I want to take this other guy's class. And because of the rest of my background, it was just really intriguing to dance at such a high level and appreciate music in that way and the physicality of it. And so I started taking this other guy's class. And then before I knew it, she was like, you know, you should go try this other class at a dance studio nearby that's on this college campus. And I was like, sure, sure. Sounds great. And I went for my first day and I just got crushed. Like, I mean, I literally left class crying, like little, little tears in the parking lot leaving because it was just so embarrassing how bad I was relative to these other people. And I was like, what is the deal? And so when I talked to them after class, they're all like, oh yeah, we dance for Kaaba Modern, which is one of the most famous like dance college groups around. And I mean, like the college dance scene is just insane. Like if you go look on YouTube and you type in, you know, uh, vibe or like any world of dance thing, a lot of them are in these groups. And LA is like the hub of, of hip hop dance, right? Mm-hmm. And so I started accidentally dancing with these kids. And even though I had tears in my eyes leaving that class, I was like, I'm coming back next week. Like, I can't leave like this. And then it just went and went and went. So this exemplifies a few things that I know about you, but the audience needs to know about you is that you tend to go into something with a very, in, for lack of a better word, intense, but intent to master it. And you've done this across a few different domains, right? Like you've been a coach to Olympic athletes and some of that we're going to get into today. But talk about some of the other things that you've done. And of course, we'll cover a lot of this in the intro, but I just want them to hear it from you. Yeah. So one of the big things, I guess, if you want to go into like the spirituality or what I believe about my life and what I think a lot of us could accept about our lives is that I want to have a lasting impact with everything that I do, not for the sake of myself, but for the sake of everyone, for instance, listening to this podcast. So preparing for this this morning, the thing that kept going through my head is if I were to die three hours after this podcast, this needs to change the listener's life in some small way. I want to make sure there's some sort of value that's given here where they're like, wow, if I had not listened to that podcast, I wouldn't be as good of a person, as developed, as whatever. And so with that, everything that I do is an experiment, right? It's this big R&D project of like, how far can you push it? And what does it really take to become expert or professional. So early on, I had my back injury. After that, when I recuperated from that, I got really excited about everything physical. Uh, I was a speaker for a motivational speaker. His name's Eric Bostic, AB Success. That was right out of high school. I got approved to go and do music college at University of North Texas, which is like one of the best music schools in the world, and turned it down because I got this offer to work for this speaker. And I was like, this guy's incredible. I need to go take this offer. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity, which it was and radically shifted my life. Like I would be a music teacher right now, or maybe like a drum corps teacher or something had I not taken that opportunity. That's pretty incredible. Okay. And so I went into music at a very high level. I played professionally. I played in symphonies and orchestras. So I, I would say a lot of my life makes sense knowing that music was the first thing ever. So music does this really interesting thing to your brain, right? Where it puts you into a state of feeling as opposed to a state of thinking, at least when you play at the professional levels. Like you do one rehearsal for a two hour set 
and you've never like seen the music before in your life and you just are expected to be at the level where that's okay. Like you walk in and the first couple of times I played professionally, I was like, dude, I am so overwhelmed right now. Everyone is just incredible and no one's looking at their music. They're feeling it as a group. I mean, it was the most spectacular thing you could possibly, it's like being in a group meditation with a bunch of Dalai Lamas is what it felt like. <laughs> Great analogy. Great analogy. After that, I, uh, I taught professional rock climbing. So I ended up getting really, really into rock climbing and setting routes and teaching people techniques and stuff, which has come super in handy with my adventurous lifestyle these days. I uh, trained as an amateur MMA fighter. So I trained a lot, like we're talking 20, 20 hour weeks for six, six months to a year, something like that. Um, got to the point where I fought an Irish boxer and he made me pee blood for a week. And then I was like, cool, I'm out, this is fine. And then I started healing people with this MAT stuff and like uh, what then became priming years later. And I was like, okay, I can't hurt people anymore. So I stopped fighting, although I love fighting, love training. Oh my gosh, what else? The competitive hip hop stuff, you know, have a huge MLM business. So I could talk about that for hours and hours. Yep, concierge health for like wealthy families, helping organize things. Obviously the MAT worked with the Olympic athletes, worked with CEOs, like crazy, crazy people, really incredible. And the whole goal with that is like, no matter how hopeless or how challenging your injury is, what's the shortest amount of time we could possibly do to where you don't need me anymore. Essentially, if I were to die tomorrow, I want these people to be okay after one session. So the goal was how few times can we see each other? This is great. And I think maybe a conversation separate to this one would be the MLM business because it's particularly relevant to the world that we've discussed many times on this podcast, Keto. But I want to talk to you about priming because you mentioned to it, you alluded to it before. And I know it's relatively unknown to this audience. And I want you to, because I've had some experience with it and I find it marvelous. How would you describe priming to someone who hasn't hasn't heard of it before. It's a way of experiencing exercise and what you think about during it that allows you to become more sensitive to muscles, to allow them to tighten appropriately instead of loosen, and to really treat your body as like a perfect machine. And so it's a way of experience exercise where you can just feel better, feel calmer, have a meditative experience, and also grow in strength, grow in speed, grow in cognitive performance and everything with no tools required, only knowledge and intention. So before you and I met and before I knew you were working on this concept of priming, what I thought of priming was simply like a way to test if your muscles were, were functioning a little bit. And I've told you my experience with priming where, and this is a different category than what we're talking about here. And this is where we would do like a couple of stretches and you'd say today is a one or a zero. And based on that, you would adjust your workouts. Today, we're talking about something completely different. Do I have that right? Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about just sort of some different aspects of priming because we're going to double click on this a lot. Let's get into first, I want to know, how did you come up with this? Because you mentioned MAT. I know you have some experience with RTS. Uh, how did priming come about? When I had my initial business set up in Minnesota in the States. I had a ton of clients that were doing, and it was an incredible experience to be so significant in their lives and helping them. For instance, there was a guy that had shrapnel in his spine and his intestines that they couldn't take out. He had jumped on a grenade for some friends in Afghanistan. And this shrapnel was, uh, they had to leave it in him because they could kill him by taking it out. So he had chronic pain. And the way that a lot of pain meds work is, is they all work through different receptors, different chemical processes, and none of them would work for him. The only thing he noticed that would work was drinking two beers every day. For some reason, it would reduce the pain enough to where he could drive. So this guy, I just imagine a life where you, A, had PTSD, of course, but B, had to have two beers so that you didn't cry in pain all the time. So uh, let's go back here because you said two beers, then he could drive, which two beers may put you over a legal limit in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. obviously this guy did a great service for save some lives with a number of people. I mean, how do you, when you get contacted by somebody like this, what, what goes through your mind? And I, I'm also curious like how this ended up too. Okay, so imagine you're getting a phone call from someone, and I got introduced in person, he got to explain it to me with tears in his eyes. 
of like this situation that he was in. And he had been in this for, I forget, like one, two, maybe three years, maybe more. And they had done as much as they could to help him. And he's just so lucky to be alive, right? But when someone like that contacts you, is one of the first experiences with someone that dramatic. And I've had a lot of really dramatic clients like that over the years. It's this like, the first reaction you have is, I'm not touching it, right? The second reaction you have is, who will? Like, who will help this guy? Because clearly, if he's talking to me, everyone else gave up or didn't want the liability or whatever. And so the third thing that went to my head is, is anyone going to care as much as I do? And I was like, and I just told him, I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I will do everything in my power to try to help you with every piece of knowledge that I have. And so taking clients like that time and time again, and I went to a point where I was like, okay, I refuse to have anyone that's not like that. And I was like, if those people are out there seeking someone, the more clients I take that maybe have injuries, but could be served by someone who's not as intense or not as committed, then I should only make room to find those really intense people. And so I did. And with that, when I left Minnesota, first of all, in about 30 minutes, he sat up and sat down without pain for the first time he could remember since the accident. Wow. Not accident, since the intentional jumping on the grenade. And that blew my mind. I mean, that's kind of a, that's, that's kind of funny. I used the term blew yeah. my mind, but uh, he wouldn't laugh at that so much, but <laughs> it was really interesting. And this is when I really started to gain respect for like, oh, this is a very different thing I'm working with here. And at the time I had no concept of what like energy was or any of the Eastern medicine stuff. And to this day, I work mostly with Western everything, but now I'm way more informed on what's going on kind of behind the, the physical side of things. And that's maybe why when I would train other people how to do what I was doing, it wasn't having a similar impact yet, because there was always this underlying energetic piece that I think I was doing without being super intentional about it. And so, yeah, when I moved from Minnesota to Texas was when all of my clients from Minnesota, the bulk of them fell apart again, not to the level that they were, but they definitely weren't great. And I was like, okay, that needs to change. That's not okay. I need to create some sort of a system where they can maintain themselves. And so I asked myself, what do I do to maintain myself optimally? Because I don't let anyone work on me or work with me. And so again, the number one thing I was trying to solve was how do you live without me and progress? And that's when this whole prehab or priming system kind of came up. And I think we're slowly switching the name to like prehabbing or something else because there's so many things called priming. It was just kind of the, the term that we used when it started happening. Okay. So it was seeded and correct me if I'm wrong here, Skip, it was seeded with sort of the idea of MAT kind of built upon with some of the experiences that you had. What were some of those other things that you added? Because there is the energy work, which you just mentioned, but was there other, how much contributes to priming? The big, the big ones are Jacques Taylor. He's got a company called Myotopia. He lives in West Palm Beach, Florida really, really incredible teacher of mine back in the day. And actually him and I are in contact again now because we might de be developing some stuff together. And his he had a course called Functional Neuroscience 1 and 2 back in the day, which both times I took them, it was so funny. I remember sitting in the class and he would say something that everyone else was like taking notes. I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm not really a note taker. I've always in the past felt shame around that, like, oh, I should take more notes. But I've always been the person who's like sitting there like this, thinking through what's going on, like, what does this mean? And he said this one line and just kept going. And I was like, whoa, whoa, Jacques, Jacques, stop, 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 stop. Hold up, hold up. Does that mean this? And he's like, yes. And I was like, and does that mean that this other thing we talked about means this? And uh, so I remember the question, actually, it was that, like, essentially, he said something in extreme neuroscience talk, that implied that muscles actually never got stronger or weaker throughout the length of your life. <laughs> okay, you're, you're ju you've just blown up everybody's mind right now, so you're going to need to explain that a little bit. <laughs> so what this means is that the capacity of producing force that your muscles have doesn't change more than a couple percent for your entire life, where we think like, oh, I could deadlift 120 kilos, and now I can deadlift 200 kilos, 
that's almost a 100% strength gain. I'm like, ha, no, <laughs> that is not what happened because, and this is the analogy that it's like, it, it puts all the conversation to rest. And it's, have you ever heard of the, the stories of moms lifting cars off of children? How does that happen, right? It's not like they're sitting there lifting cars for their, their workout when they're power walking in the park, you know what I mean? And so the only way that can happen is for this to be true for the ability to, to harness actual force production in your body never really changes. It's what your, and this, so the next guy who added to my stuff, Tim Noakes from South Africa, he has uh, a theory called the central governor theory. Also really politically active. I love that guy. He's come up a few times. I, I like him. And so this, this theory added to it because it essentially was a, a comprehensive point of view saying that your nervous system or something in your brain, a whole compilation of stuff, I like to call your locus ceruleus a piece of it, but that's only a small piece of it, that essentially tells your body how much force it's allowed to use. Adrenaline can affect it dramatically. Cortisol can affect it dramatically, right? A lot of things can affect it. Theanine from green tea can downregulate things. Uh, CBD, marijuana can downregulate a lot of those things. Um, and it is a whole slew of other stuff that goes into action here too. But essentially it meant in this class, I freaked out because when he implied that, and then I asked to go deeper, like, does that mean I'm as strong as I'll ever be? Does that mean I can access more strength than I ever thought was possible? Like right now, given if I could like shut down that central governor or upregulate it tremendously. And he was like, well, yeah. And I was just like, okay, stop. And he started, he's like, well, we have to keep going. And I was like, ah, la, la, la. And I literally was like yelling in the back. And I was like, we need to take a minute and think this means a lot of stuff. <laughs> and he kept talking. I ran out of the class because I was like, I can't handle anything more right now. Like this just broke everything I thought about. And this is going to change the way I like recognize and interact with everyone because it clipped some dots for me. When I see these dramatic changes in people like if they do one of the prehab dojo tracks and they're like oh my gosh i had plantar fasciitis i did four exercises laying down on my back and now my plantar fasciitis is gone right which i would never claim as a result that you could get but some people have been getting stuff like that it's it's not necessarily because your injury is gone it's because your central governor may have been creating pain as a way to prevent you from damaging tissue that may not even be around your foot, but it could be anywhere. And, and that's another consistency I kept seeing with people is that I never knew what was causing their problem. I would have you know, educated guesses and maybe get to it faster than other people. But what I learned is that the maintenance of this whole system is more important than targeting any specific area with an injury, including when I broke my foot in Jamaica in three places. I was like, it doesn't matter that my foot is healthy, it matters that this whole thing is healthy. And in the same respect, that all affects that central governor. Let's take this a little bit further and let's go on to your foot because that's a, just a concrete example for people. You break your foot, I tweak my knee. How do you go about, I guess, maybe down-regulating pain or how do you go about from, from that point, what is your action step? <laughs> I love that you just said down-regulating pain. I'm not sure if that's the right term. I'm not sure if that's it. that's not the technical term, that's for sure. Well, and and so another thing with me is like, I don't really care if it's technical or not. I get <laughs> what you mean by that. And that's okay. So you meant like, how do I reduce the pain levels that I'm experiencing, right? Pain, inflammation, recover faster, et cetera. Because I saw videos of you on a treadmill fairly quickly thereafter, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was about a week. It's crazy. So walk yeah. us through that. Yeah. So fifth metatarsal full break, fourth metatarsal. So essentially like this is my foot. This was fully broken in half right here, half broken here. And then my uh, meal, uh, lateral malleolus. So if this was my right foot, the outside bone on your ankle, like right here Ouch. was broken. And that was a complete break through that thing. Pretty, pretty bad. So essentially the bottom of my fibula and, and then your knee tweak. Oh, here we go, dude. Okay. So number one, your body is perfect. Your body is perfect. Any pain, any symptoms you're feeling are the absolute perfect necessary reaction to support your well-being and your health and your recovery. And if we just take that one statement and extrapolate through the normal recovery process that people go through versus what I usually do tell people to do, especially if there's a lot of care. And so with myself, it was a perfect time 
to play with all of the craziness. Cause I'm like, uh, for myself, I'll do everything that's insane that I may not tell someone else to do because I can't watch them and I can't feel what they feel. And so if everything is perfect, what is inflammation? Well, you speaking to me right now, when you say words, when you nod your head, inflammation is causing that. It's causing the thought. It's causing the actual movement. So inflammation is not bad. Inflammation is amazing. And again, if your body is perfect, all inflammation is good inflammation. Man, this gets so deep so fast because this goes into things like, this is so scary to talk about, but it's so important to talk about. And it's things like cancer. Like when you start looking at it and you're like, why is cancer a good thing? It really starts to open up a lot of doors. Why is Parkinson's a good thing? If it, if it were a perfect reaction, why would my body be doing it? And when you look at it that way and you can reverse engineer through that scope, that lens, it changes the way you, you handle everything and makes it a lot less stressful too. A lot of people, when they get things like that autoimmune or pain or whatever, you're like, oh, my body's fighting against me. I'm like, no, dude, your body loves you so much. Like it's, it's just trying to help you. And let's figure out what it's trying to help. And so... Um, remind me what what was the the line of questioning? <laughs> That's a good How question. Because go fixing the the ankle, I, I'm so ingratiated in this conversation that I almost lost it. But uh, you busted up a whole boatload of your foot. How did you kind of yeah, walk yeah. walk us through how you took it from busted foot to being on a treadmill a week later? Yeah. So I broke my foot dancing in a speaker dance off in Jamaica, dressed up as Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, dancing for the <laughs> Buddhist monk who trained the cast of Doctor Strange. Love it. So that's the, the short of the story. And then I continued, uh, I was making a film for Vision, the CEO of Mind Valley, for his birthday that day and finishing a vlog for um, the A-Fest, the event that I was at. And so I remember walking around on it for hours afterwards, continuing to film because of this whole concept of unstoppability that I talk about a lot. But I was like, I got to finish it. And in the morning, I'll do a lot of MAT. I'll do a lot of priming, prehabbing, all that kind of stuff. I had like nine energy healers come over to me when it was broken and put their lights and, and spectrometers and things on it. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's a great crowd to be around when you get injured. I didn't know fully how bad it was. Um, so let's break down the process of healing now. As soon as I broke my foot, there are certain emotional triggers for why you may, you may injure things in your body. For your feet and ankles, it's forward momentum in life or forward progression. It usually means you're scared of something that's changing and maybe not ready to change or go into the future. You're, you're holding yourself back or you feel like it's the wrong thing to do. And so in the exact moment that I felt some cracks in my foot, whether it was a break or a sprain or a tendon or a ligament or whatever it was, I started laughing immediately. There's actually a picture I can send you for the show notes Absolutely. of me laying on the ground like this. Awesome. <laughs> it's like literally I fell and Paulius, another uh, potential Avenger, like ran over, snapped this photo. That's incredible. And I was laughing because a, I was dressed up as Gandalf and broke my foot dancing against Jason Goldberg, Deadpool. Um, <laughs> but number two, because I immediately recognized it emotionally for what it was. And I was like, I get it. My subconscious is really scared of how fast life is changing right now. I had been traveling for a little over a year at that. Oh, wait, no, for six months at that point, full time. I was becoming this like well-known filmmaker, making all these cool vlogs, introducing all these new friends and, and getting ready to create the Avengers. And my life was just changing. And I was scared. I was really scared I was going to fail at all of these different things I was doing now at the same time. And so I laugh because I'm like, I'm not scared. Like I, I realize I haven't put any attention on that yet. And I've been kind of running away from having that conversation internally. And maybe that's part of the reason this just happened. And so I just said to myself in that moment, no matter how bad this is, it will not slow me down and I will not stop. That's great. And, and so I hobbled off to the side and I was laughing. So everyone thought I was okay. And I stood up and I'm like, guys, I can't, I can't dance anymore. <laughs> but I'm still laughing. So they're like, what, what's going on? And then, yeah. So to this day, a lot of people that were there have no idea I broke my foot. It's incredible. And so that night I did some prehabbing stuff, some very simple exercise to like move my toes 
one at a time and try to stimulate some different activity in them, right? And even as I was moving them, they were kind of not able to move separately. You know how if you guys try to move your toes right now and you try to do like just the second toe or like just the third toe, at this moment, my foot was getting so swollen so quickly that it would be, it would look like this. <laughs> just gradually everything's moving up. Just, just everything. And to be fair, most people's toes are like that in this prehab, this priming stuff. That's a huge thing that we try to solve is just get you the ability to move everything in your body independently. There's like about 850 skeletal muscle tissues that I'm aware of. And we try to do those. There's also an eye program. There's an ear program. It's some interesting stuff. We're developing some skull and forehead things right now that could be really interesting. So I did a bunch of that stuff before bed, woke up the next morning and I'm like, okay, if I can put weight on my foot, it's probably just sprained, you know, probably three or four out of 10 of pain. That's okay. I don't want to reduce my pain. I want to feel everything, but I also want to know that this is just my like meat bag slash biological space suit as this new shaman direct talked to me in the last week about it's okay. Like the, any amount of pain I feel, I'm confident enough in being able to heal any sort of like injury that I'm just going to say, yes, it's okay to have the pain and be like, just don't push it too far, but I'm not going to take any painkillers, ice it, none of that. Cause I want to keep all of my inflammation, keep all of my healing factors. And this is purely because your body is perfect, right? And yeah, you, this is happening for a reason. Yeah. So if I, if I take some sort of even Tylenol or like an ibuprofen or, or any light grade pain medication, that's something that's going to reduce inflammation. I don't know what inflammation is going to reduce it. Like I may not get the same amount of blood flow, the same amount of nutrient density delivered to that area. So it's really like, okay, I just need to make sure everything is getting to me and uh, trust my body is going to heal it in the best way possible. And then the pain is again, it's a warning sign of what I should or should not do. So if I reduce the pain in some way, I may do things that I shouldn't be doing because I'm unaware. Very well said. Okay. So so I get off off the bed and I'm like, okay, I did some priming right in the morning. I, I touched around my foot, kind of stimulated different areas really gently, felt okay. I go and I put just my pinky toe on the ground and it radiates pain through my entire body at like a nine out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is so much worse than I thought. <laughs> I was like really hoping it was just an ankle sprain. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is clearly much worse than an ankle sprain. So the question on everybody's mind is, do you go to a hospital in Jamaica? Or did you <laughs> did you uh, wait until you got back? I, I waited until I got back. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I was not going to a Jamaican hospital. I, I wanted to ask you, my next question was going to be, what's a Jamaican hospital like? But I'll have to save that for somebody else. So I ended up flying back to North Carolina and then over to LA the same day, by the way. Like... That I walk. that morning, <laughs> nine out of ten pain. You get on, you get on a flight to North Carolina. You get not a nonstop flight to LA because God forbid you actually do that. You go through North Carolina and then uh, went to LA, helped and hung out at the MCT certification for Mind Valley for these like trainers they were working with for a couple days, and then went down some to some of my doctors that are friends in Orange County, California and got the x-ray. They brought a specialist in to convince me to take care of myself because the guy who knew me was like, he's not going to listen to me. And so they brought this specialist in and they're like, you need two screws, fourth and fifth met, and uh, a cast for six months for that lower head of the fibula, that lateral miliolus. And my friend is standing behind the guy like this. Just not happening. <laughs> no. he, he just knows I, what I my mean, response is going to be. I know you well enough now that like, even even when I was going through my own tweaking the knee issue, I'm like, eh, Skip probably wouldn't do this. So. <laughs> yeah. so the point to this story, by the way, for everyone listening is like, always listen to medical professionals first, right? People that are taking legal responsibility for you, listen to them. But there is this whole other thing and it's uh yeah it's beautiful to think about like okay so if i get two screws now i've got metal introduced to my body even if it's like a hypoallergenic metal i've got structural stuff going in that's going to cause issues probably for the rest not probably it will i'm just going to say that it will cause issues for the rest of my life it's going to just change the way that everything works and if you already have those screws or if you have metal in your body and you're listening to this 
also your body is perfect. It will adapt. It will be able to deal with it over time. It is a compromise in your structural integrity, but for some people who are really messed up, like people who've shattered their foot and stuff, you might need to do something like that. And it is a very, like I will say right now, I didn't do the screws and I didn't wear a cast except for four minutes and air cast in their office to just try it. And I hated it. So I took it off. Uh, it's a very painful process to do it without that stuff. But I think it's far less painful in the long run to do it the way I did it than it is to get screws in a cast. It's painful for two reasons. Number one, there's a lot of education and a lot of patience and a lot of love you got to pour into your body. Number two, it's painful because you are not taking pain meds and you're not, you know, doing what they recommend to reduce the inflammation. So it's, it's painful. But again, knowing that your body is perfect and knowing that like pain is a good thing, you know, cramping, tension, mobility limitations, like all of that is a perfect thing. And you can just trust your body and work side by side with it. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really cool experience if you ever get to go through that with an injury where you gain a lot of respect for your body and what you're capable of. Excellent. So if you don't mind, I want to shift a little bit into, because we have a lot of people that listen to this show that are optimization, for lack of a better word, they're focused on optimization. And what are some of the other things that we can do with prehab? And we'll use the term prehab now because I've used it after you told me there's a better way to decompress my spine. Um, and I found it to be extremely effective for that. What other things can we do with prehabbing? Yep. So fun note here, when you're prehabbing your spine to decompress it, you're realistically compressing it at a high intensity so that it will decompress itself if it wants to. So there's a huge, <laughs> it's so funny. There's so many fun things to go into about this. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. So when it comes to optimization, when I think about muscle and I think about your nervous system, sensitivity is everything. So being able to feel muscles when you work out, when you walk, when you do everything. So my question right now is for anyone listening or even you just standing here, are you feeling anything as you stand here or are you very like brain focused right now? Until you said that, and let's, let's be honest here, like cognitive, cognitively focused. So very brain focused. So not to say that that's a, a wrong thing, but I always encourage, especially when you find yourself like a lot of people talk about this with like Ted, right? We have an 18 minute attention span and I think they reduce their talks now to, is it 15 or 12 minutes? It's somewhere between 12 and 16 minutes. I can't remember exactly. I think that's an attention span when you don't quote unquote, what, what Jeffrey Allen, what some energy people would talk about is grounding. And essentially as you get more into this like prehab lifestyle and you've done a lot of this stuff, it's very easy for you to basically instantly ground. Because you can sit there and be like, hmm, you got your knee tweak right now. Can you feel your big toe for like two seconds? Just squeeze your big toe into the ground and just really feel that. And then your other big toe into the ground. And can you feel that equally or is it different? Uh, it, it is different. The knee that is quote unquote tweaked is slightly different. Yeah. So just that one thing right there, we just like regrounded, kind of came into your body, became very present state aware. You probably have like another 12 minutes of attention span. That's great. I love it. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, it just takes like a very focused few seconds to just get more into, into your body and into like reality, as opposed to up in the clouds and all that stuff, which is great too. So, you know, it's like teaching both ends of that spectrum. So for optimization purposes, the sensitivity, this ability to have presence, this ability to feel is so important for your nervous system, because the more you feel, just like I was talking about with my foot, if I don't feel pain, I won't know what not to do. In my, in my business or in my, in my entrepreneur life, if I don't look at my bank account, I won't know what's going on. If I don't look at my cost of goods or my overhead, I won't know how much to pay my people, right? Yeah. Like sensitivity is everything. Your ability to be aware is everything, especially for people who probably listen to this when it comes to an entrepreneurial lifestyle or just optimization in some, your C-level executive, you're some high performer, right? You want to know what's going on in your car. You don't want like a 1940s Ford that just starts making weird noises. You want a Tesla Model X that's like, yo, these seven exact things are wrong. Do you want me to install an update and fix them? Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about grounding ourselves, focusing. 
a little on decompression of the spine. What other, it'd be, it'd, I, I want to go into everything that this can do because I'm amazed so far. You and I did a workout in San Diego where we were doing weights that I would categorize as less than my normal warm up weights, but we were feeling pretty, I was pretty beat after that workout. Do you mind just touching a little bit on other things that we can do with it? Yeah. So let's go into the quick decompression of the spine example. So if your spine is a bunch of little vertebrae stacked on top of another, right? And you've got lots of little nerves running alongside them that are very, very important to keep healthy and keep enough space. What happens over time with a lot of people is when muscles get challenged, when muscles get weaker, they get tighter. They get tighter the same reason why you may get tighter when you're pressured. So if you're in a work environment where everyone's putting a lot of responsibility on you, people don't generally expand and love more <laughs> when there's lots of pressure, right? When there's lots of pressure, they cave in and they start, um, if you want to talk about it physically, like slouching or have to really remember to keep their posture up all the time, or they stop answering emails, they get overwhelmed, they stop paying attention to their girlfriend, their kids, right? they start clamming up because they feel the pressure and your muscles do the same thing. Now, when the muscles around your vertebrae do that, they clamp down your vertebrae and you get what's called like compression, like more compression of your spine than maybe you would want throughout a day. And especially during like weight bearing or, or loaded or exercise or running or whatever you're doing, biking. Oh, cycling is a whole nother conversation. Like don't cycle if you're a cyclist. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> unless you absolutely love it and then you should be prehabbing to fix all the stuff that's happening. And so when your spine compresses, because these muscles are tightening over time, whether it's from, I mean, think about this. Like when we go to the gym currently, the way that like mainstream culture thinks about health in the gym is we need to go in, we need to uh, fatigue our muscles to the point of becoming sore, and we need to lightly destroy them so that they will get stronger and grow back stronger, right? You basically just described every bodybuilding website out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be fair, like when I was a, a personal trainer, all my certifications, it's just like the base. They don't like go into detail, but they're like, yeah, you need to go in. You need to cause tears in your muscle so that those tears will heal. You'll store more energy inside that tissue. And now that I know you'll upregulate your governor theory chip in there and it'll allow you to access more strength because your bones get denser, your ligaments get more intense, they get stronger, and your tendons are used to using more force. And synapses, nervous system, everything is getting more effective over time as you repeatedly train certain motions and certain muscles. And right, everything is essentially, oh, wow, this gets deep fast. <laughs> okay. Go for it. We, we, I mean, we can keep going. Like, I, I want just go as deep as you're comfortable. Actually, go, go deeper than you're comfortable. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, the way that your body works in every respect in your brain, the ability to think quickly, get this 80% of the neurons that are in your brain also control movement in some form or fashion. They control some muscle. So it's not like they have one responsibility. It's not like you have a memory neuron. It's like you actually have a whole grouping that do movement of, let's say like this first finger and those guys also may subtly participate in your ability to remember yesterday's lunch. So this is the kind of the part that blew my mind in, in functional neuroscience as well was another one of these like screaming run out of the class moments. I'm like, you guys don't understand how important what he just said is. And I'm not even sure if he understood how important <laughs> what he just said is because it essentially means that if you're having issues focusing, remembering things, uh, doing math, like all of these other things that you may think are cognitive things in your life, maybe they're also movement related. And so you wonder when you meet, you know, an incredible martial artist, and I don't mean like a UFC fighter, I mean someone who's like a double black belt in jujitsu or whatever their high ranking thing is, right? When you meet these people, they are so aware, they're so present, they're so intense, they're so intelligent. And they're so focused on like feeling everything in their body. And as I was teaching people this prehabbing stuff, this priming, right? And they started becoming more intense with their body. I started to notice them shift over time too. And when I was learning this, I started thinking back to all my old clients and how their personalities would change over time. And not necessarily like that's a good thing. I don't know if you want your personality to change, but I would say similarly, your muscle when it gets stronger, becomes more dynamic. 
around your spine and that compression, it can choose to be less compressed or it can choose to be more compressed depending on what is perfect. So we're giving your body the ability to make a choice. And similarly, these people and how their personalities would change as their bodies became more dynamic muscularly, their brains and their personalities would become more dynamic. They could get softer and they could get way louder and they could have so much more personality with their day-to-day life. And I was like, man, this is kind of weird. Like, am I like weirdly brainwashing people? But it, you know, again, it's not me. There's never this technique. It's not meant to change you. It's meant to allow you to experience more of your life more intensely, to be more present state aware, to smell things better, to hear things better, to see better, to move better, to feel better, to feel more. This is incredible. Dude, I've got goosebumps right now. This is great. Uh, Okay, so if we break this down, wow, there's a lot I can go here. So biomechanically, or and I'm using that term, and we can shape another term if we want, biomechanically can affect anything from spinal decompression or biomechanics, spinal decompression, obvious one, to your ability to focus in this very moment. And so therefore, if I start to feel the movements of my body and how the biomechanics work, I've unlocked the key to the perfect performance for me. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. I I always get really held up on the concept of perfect performance, but I would actually agree with you in this context because in this context, perfect means appropriate. It means your body is choosing what to allow you to access. You're, you're essentially unlocking the potential of that central governor more and more so that it can make the choice for you and you don't have to force speed or force strength. It just allows it. This is, this is great. Now, for those listening out there that would compare this to something like a meditation, being able to feel your body all day long, the difference being is that you're actually, well, I guess there's walking meditation too, but it's bringing more mindfulness to movement uh, and it's in a simplistic way. Do I have that right or do you want to explain it a different way? hundred percent. Oh man, this is unbelievable. I love this. I'm so excited about this. All right. So the next thing that someone's going to ask listening to this, because we have guys that are Ironman triathletes, power lifters, et cetera, shutting down the governor or, or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. let's talk yep. about shutting down the governor. Can you do it? Is that useful? And I know you and I have talked about this in the past. Why is it not a good idea? Yeah. So Hmm. This goes into some deep life philosophy from my perspective. It is a beautiful thing to feel your body's responses to everything and to accept it for what it is and to play along with your body and let it take care of you. Meaning when your knee starts tweaking on mile 17 of a marathon, you're like, okay, I need to either shift the way I'm moving, start to like contract my you know glutes more on every stride on the other side or I need to focus on my obliques on the right side. If my knee injury is on the right side, I need to like maybe ask some muscles to participate more because I've been tuning into them on a regular basis, doing the prehab stuff or whatever. And so that's one way to go about it, right? Like feel the pain and say, I'm going to change some biomechanics. Hopefully it will go away and I can take care of my body, but not try to numb it that's beautiful because your longevity will be enhanced. You'll just feel better long-term, but there is a point where maybe sometimes you, you want to train what I'm just going to summarize as your locus ceruleus or um, the ability of your body to give itself pain medication. And so there's a lot of ways people train this stuff. Uh, Wim Hof's breathing technique is a, is a light foray or entry into this, this realm of, okay, I'm a high performance athlete and I want to reduce my pain response, reduce the central governor theory's control and allow myself to lift that car off of a child. And so um, I would say if you haven't researched Wim Hof's breathing stuff, like you should for the sake of like, how do we reduce pain response and allow ourselves to access more strength instantly? I would say that the dojo or this, this whole prehab thing has been created to give you the other side of the spectrum, which I think a lot of people know more barbaric ways to reduce pain and like things like that. Like foam rolling is a good way to reduce pain responses. 
if you just smash something for a while that's painful, eventually your body will numb that area. That's a very barbaric way of doing it. Um, and when I say barbaric, I do mean very effective, just maybe not the best idea long-term because if we reduce sensitivity in an area by creating lots of pain, um, maybe we'll miss something in the future that we, we could have felt that would prevent another injury in some other part of our body. And again, not that foam rolling is a bad thing. I think we just maybe do it for the wrong reasons a lot of the time. So it's all about understanding, again, your body's perfect. So if you have pain, like love on the pain, love on the pain, like work around the pain, you know, help mobilize things, help sensitize other things. But for the sake of winning a gold medal, of course, you want to prehab as much as possible. You want to be as sensitive as possible. You want to feel. So you do want to do everything that we're talking about. But on game day, if you're willing to sacrifice the longevity of your body, your joints, your tendons, your ligaments, your nervous system, you're willing to go through the hormonal stress that's going to occur, there are definitely ways to reduce pain by allowing your body to release some of those different uh, neurotransmitters and hormones that have reduced that stuff. And again, tap into that central governor chip and be like, eh, let me do whatever I want right now. Breathing is a big one. Um, so in preparation or even during, uh, again, always listen to your medical professional. I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on the internet, but no one here does. You, this is just conversation, sharing information. So if you uh, hold your breath, for extended periods of time to the point where you can't breathe while you're running or while you're swimming, just one, two times creating a stress response. So what you're really looking to do is create a stress response. At least that's one way about going about this. If you want to allow yourself to access more strength and power quickly. Um, so that could be extreme cold. I wouldn't do it for your full body as an athlete because you don't want to slow anything down. You just want to create the stress. Extreme heat can be way more effective. I've literally, this is, this is so funny for myself and maybe for other people, but I would never necessarily admit to that for gold medal stuff, but use a lighter and just like a pin, like a paper clip, light the paper clip to the point where it's almost melty. Let it cool down for like two seconds and let it create pain somewhere on your body to where it's not going to cause any sort of damage to tissue. I mean, of course it's going to cause damage to like the skin tissue, but not to where it's like a sprinter in his quad, you know, maybe like somewhere else again, to just stimulate that pain response and allow your body to go into this like, oh shit, like I, I need to be in it right now. Uh, also like a, a small fear response followed by a calmness response can be really great. Sort of, let's just say like symbolizing getting chased by a tiger as an example, right? And then the more you get into this prehab stuff and the more sensitivity you feel, the more you can start to ignore it if you want to. So that's like microdosing death. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Microdosing death. That's awesome. <laughs> let's just call it that. This is great. Because let, let's talk about the downsides to this because you mentioned something earlier called longevity. I'm presenting a conference on longevity. What do you sacrifice? Because there's, I, I'm guessing a zero sum equation here. What are you sacrificing by dropping the, the mechanisms that prevent us from going so far? My first answer to that is it's kind of fucked up because you don't know what you're sacrificing and that's the whole point. <laughs> like it, it could be, uh, like I was mentioning before, bones, ligaments, tendons, actual uh, like potential neurons, crazy hormone responses, uh, gut dysbiosis, uh, I mean, all sorts of vulnerabilities to viruses, bacteria that you don't want. Uh, a, a lot of different things could be happening there, uh, especially like some, something like cryotherapy. In my experience of testing this uh, with people's sensitivity and, and not, cryotherapy generally desensitizes your body dramatically, potentially forever. To cold. Yeah, extreme cold. Extreme cold in very short periods of time. And this is like far colder than like a glacial lake, right? If you've done cryo, uh, it, can, it can get twice, three times as cold as a glacial lake. And it's very fast too. There's no like pre-warm up to that. Um, so you could be sacrificing potentially anything by doing that. And the important part for like the athletes that I work with is that when they make those sacrifices, they put in extra time in regaining the trust of their body by doing this prehab stuff by, uh, you know, you know, whatever meditations they do, love meditations, things like that. Also just eating extremely well. Uh, a lot of my athletes will fast before performances now. 
And so again, it's that microdosing death concept. And then afterwards, like just so much love on your body, so much tender love and care, you know. Skip, this has been an amazing and absolute pleasure. And I think we can go down wormholes for hours and hours. I want to move into the final four questions that I ask everybody. Let's let's start with this one. What is one aspect of health or performance that you wish people would pay more attention to that is not currently getting enough attention? I suppose it, it does come back to my whole life mission with this prehab thing, which is, are you doing 10 reps of squats because 10 is an important number because squats are an important exercise, but have you asked like deeper questions of why 10, why squats, like why work out at all? Like, what are you actually doing it for? Right. And what is, what does like muscle training really mean? And I think we've answered a lot of those questions, at least the third one, what does it really mean in this, in this interview a little bit? Um, but that's something that I would like to pour more love, more information into the world with this whole thing. And just ask yourself, like, why a certain rep count within a squat? What are the things that are important there, right? If my quads are subtly responsible for my ability to empathize with other humans, because that's how my synapses are, are working for my individual, you know, mapping. Wow, that is really freaking important, right? Like, when you start to think about every muscle that I train or don't train, maybe having an impact on who I am as a person or my cognition, it, it kind of changes the importance, right? Now it's like, oh, I'm not working out to get ripped. Like I'm not even working out necessarily to feel good. I'm working out to become a better person. And I think there's been numerous studies recently, at least on the effects of working out and cognition. So it's no longer just about six pack or whatever it is, but I love, I love your answer there. Love six packs too, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, who doesn't, right? Uh, what's your f- top trick for improving your focus? It was kind of funny. I would say top trick for improving my focus is thinking about improving my focus. So, so elaborate a, a little of, bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways in life, you get what you ask for, and so to a large extent, doing this prehab stuff, like if you're just sitting there and you just like flex your bicep and then try to relax your hand. My goal is like, okay, why am I flexing my bicep? Because I want to tune into it more and I want to feel more from it. To some extent that we're unaware of right now, my intention about wanting to feel it is going to create more feeling. To some extent, when I journal about my day or my year or my goals, the intention of setting those goals and journaling about it and thinking about it may play a really significant role in me achieving those things or getting close to them. Similarly, if I'm having an issue focusing, And just spending a minute or two minutes, like when you asked me that question, my initial response was focus, 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 focus. (laughs) Just because I was like, huh, what did I do just there? And I was like, I thought about increasing my focus and then focused on that, which thereby increases my focus. But also all the other things we've talked about, tuning into muscles, getting that ability to be very dynamic like your muscles and your mind can become when you train them at low intensities, at high intensities with intention. This is, this is brilliant, Skip. All right, favorite book, or actually let's reframe this question. What book has significantly impacted your performance in life or how you show up to life in general? I mean, there's only like one book I would say over the years, and I think we talked about this when you were here in San Diego, that every time anyone asks any question about a book, it's just, it's so cliche, but it just radically shifted my whole theory of life, not because of the words within it, but because of the concepts and how I have extrapolated them into the rest of my life, which is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And again, it's like what, what that book taught me as a core lesson has become the book that I'm writing now, which is if anything were possible, if any dream you want, like for instance, if I want to somehow convince 20 people to go to New Zealand to spend time at a ranch, and I want these 20 people to be incredible and inspiring and beautiful souls, how am I going to get that to happen? Just having that intention and saying like, if that were to happen, how could it be possible? And so that's like this beautiful formula for questioning of whatever the dream is, if it were possible, how could it happen? And then making that a reality. And that goes for marketing, that goes for business, that goes for love. 
Um, it, it really works with everything. And I, I've borrowed that question many times lately, I would say. Where can people find out more about you, Skip Kelly? PrehabDojo.com, Facebook, Skip Kelly, Instagram, Skip Kelly Films. We didn't talk about that. I also make film. Yep, those would be the big ones right now. Excellent. And we'll link to all of these in the show notes, which will be found at decodingsuperhuman.com slash skip. And Skip, I owe you a debt of gratitude in so many different levels. Uh, It's probably impossible to get into all of them here. Everything from in gingy socks to just frankly, the last question you brought up. So brother, thank you so much for everything that you do. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and looking forward to more Avengers meetings soon. Awesome. Good chat. To all the superhumans out there listening, have an absolutely epic day. Superhumans, before you go, can I ask two favors? Did you enjoy that episode? If so, can you send me an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com? Provide any feedback, positive or negative. I would love to hear from you. And for those of you who have really taken advantage of that, you know I respond to each email. Secondly, if you did enjoy the episode, can you head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of your favorite podcast listening platforms, and give Decoding Superhuman a five-star rating. It would really be appreciated. And then finally, for those of you who are looking at taking an informed approach to health, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com. Check out what we have going on over there, and if you want to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me, you're going to have that option. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day, and remember as always, choose health.